Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly biotechnology podcast that's not just about biotechnology. Providing information to help you change hearts and minds. Moving innovations to application with communication. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss contemporary issues in science and technology with a focus on biotechnology and new innovations that can help people and the planet. I'm Paul Vincelli, sitting in for Dr. Kevin Falta. Kevin, again, thanks for the opportunity to participate in Talking Biotech. It's, it's always a pleasure. And today we're going to be talking about, boy, how do I summarize this? Uh, we're going to be talking about, well, let's say it this way, a study that looks at the question of uh, whether media sources from the Russian Federation may have some role and promoting uh, anti-GMO uh, technologies, and so I'm um, I'm I'm on, on the you know on the connection here. We have Dr. Sean Darius from the Department of Sociology at Iowa State University, and Sean, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the Talking Biotech Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So um, why don't we start with give us give the listeners some back you know some background uh, as far as you as a sociologist how did you get interested in sociology and then maybe you know how did you get interested in this topic of of uh, media influences on uh, or possible media influences on on uh, GMO attitudes so give us give us some background. Very good, very good. Um, so my uh, my background is in sociology, undergraduate degrees, graduate degrees, postdoctoral work, uh, demography in, in sociology, and I have some applied professional work in market research, uh, working um, on the industry side of uh, public uh, opinion uh, measurement and management, and then I, I work in, in sociology, largely in international research, comparative attitudes, um, and inequality regimes looking across countries and throughout the world and how those are changing and, and how these kinds of ideas and ideologies spread around the world. Um, so I did my work at uh, my graduate training at Penn State and their sociology and demography program, a quantitative science training program. And then I spent three years uh, as a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Michigan in the Survey Research Center and at the Population Studies Center there in social demography. So I have a lot of uh, background training yeah. 
in surveys. Um, but one of the things is we measure publics and we measure them with surveys. We see these sometimes changes in, in public opinion. The question becomes, well, what's causing those changes? And these days with the rise of social media, we've got this interest in the possibility that we can more finely measure how people's exposure to social media, to news media and other sources, how this affects what we're picking up in our social surveys. So that's kind of been an area I've been interested in is this nexus between social media and our traditional social surveys for measuring what the public thinks and believes and, and worries about. Yeah, it's interesting to, to, you know, to explore social media and the impacts of it on, um, you know, public attitudes. I, in fact, I gave a talk a few days ago in um, a county extension office on, uh, on, on science literacy and, and in, in, a, in a digital world. And, uh, and cre- credible science really was the title in a, in a digital world. And, and um, you know, one of the things that occurred to me, especially as a result of having read your paper was, you know, I said to the people that, that the, um, you know, that, that, that our uh, social media empower us to, and, and the internet in general empowers us to, to find all kinds of really important and interesting information. It all, but it also empowers the people that want to influence us in some way and, and you know, advertisements or, you know, or in this case, possibly, uh, uh, you know, other countries. And so, yeah, it's interesting that you have found this niche and uh, seems like a fruitful one. Yeah, it's a great area for research. I mean, for, for basic research, understanding kind of these fundamental mechanisms that drive changes in, in society and in our culture and, and uh, there's just a lot of moving parts, and and certainly with the you know digitization and datafied world we live in, it's just uh, an incredible time to test some old theories we haven't been able to test because we haven't had the data, or at least at the scale. So it's a it's an exciting time to better understand say, what's going on in the world we live in. Yeah. So the paper that for the listeners, the paper that we're going to be talking about is entitled "Sowing the Seeds of Skepticism: Russian State News and Anti-GMO Sentiment." And it's in the journal GM Crops and Food, published in this year, um, just a, you know a few months ago, as, as I recall, and um, and it, it actually is an open access uh, paper, so listeners can get a copy. Will uh, our intention is to have that website to directly link to the paper on the Talking Biotech podcast. So, um, all right, so maybe I, I've got questions about the content that, that I think are very interesting, but but give us an overview of the paper, Sean. Sure. So um, I got, uh, with just some, some background, I got connected to some of the geneticists here on campus at Iowa State. Uh, and as probably listeners know, that Iowa State's got real strength in biotechnology and genetic research, some of the leaders in the field. So it's kind of an exciting place to be related to biotechnology as a social scientist. Uh, lots of interesting people to come and ask questions about what's going on in the world of genetics. But I got got involved with this group and, and a collaborator in particular, and I co-authored in this paper, uh, Dr. Carolyn Lawrence Dill and uh, Plant Genomics. Um, we got to kicking around some ideas and had some shared interest in understanding kind of why people think and uh, what they think about GMOs and how that changes and what's causing people to to be say opposed to or supportive of GMOs and, and biotechnology. So we kind of got to kicking around ideas over coffee, some, maybe some projects we could get, get together on. And we wrote a small, uh, a secret, or we wrote a grant for a, a small, some seed funds, um, to do some work together and got this and hired a grad student. And our interest was to test some methodologies. Could we, 
could we glean some insights from social media that go above and beyond or enhance what we can see with social survey data? So our conventional measurement devices, the social mm -hmm. survey and qualitative interviews, we know what we can get from those. And could we bring some new insights from social media analytics? And in this case, we ended up focusing on the, the media sources, the, uh, mm -hmm. the origin of messages about GMOs. Um, news news agencies, uh, uh, online news agencies in particular. Yeah, and so I think it's probably important to point out uh, to listeners that you you do have your funding listed, and it is uh, looks like entirely public sources: Iowa State University Crop Bioengineering Center, and uh, the Iowa State University Plant Sciences Institute Faculty Scholars Program. So, so I think you know, given the sensitivities about uh, corporate influence in this topic, we you know I think it's important to to acknowledge that your sources are public. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the case. Yeah. So, okay, so there, there's a bit of background in how you went into this. Um, you know, in the introduction of the, the introductory portion of this paper, there, there was at least one, I, I've got several highlights, but there was one um, that I, I want to read to listeners and ask you to comment on this because I, I, I didn't, wasn't even aware really at, at, at this level of, of what, what I'm about to read, but you, you, right out of the paper, a quote is, Russia is targeting Western democracies with an influence campaign, drawing from a large number of seemingly unrelated social, political, economic, and environmental topics. So tell us about that. What, what's, you know, what do you know as a sociologist who works in this area? And, and tell us about some of the evidence in support of your knowledge. Yeah, so this is an issue. Certainly, in in the U.S. and U.S. media, we've been um, we've been exposed to this idea of a Russian influence campaign since at least the kind of the, the summer of 2016, okay. when when sure. intel intelligence agencies um, started to raise concerns that it seemed some of the data they were collecting, some of the, the traces they were following, that Russia was in the in the middle of an active measures campaign to influence influence the election, the election. and, and sure. uh, in, in more broadly to influence not just the election in the U.S., but in, in the, the, the evidence and the research that's come out, influence the, um, the Brexit, for example, Brexit, mm -hmm. influence in, in Spanish elections more recently. Uh, and it appears that these new media, and this is, can I just say, this is always the case with new media. When radio came out, when television came out, now with social media, these, these are ripe opportunities for propagandists, people interested in influencing and shaping the public and the opinions of the public. When these new technologies come out, they're ripe opportunities for propagandists to, to go bigger, to go bolder, and to test and to try new strategies. And this, that's exactly the same as we've seen historically with these older media forms, radio and television. We're seeing the same thing with social media, that it is a powerful and at present a very effective way to reach large audiences and to lead, to reach uh, audiences at a very micro level scale. Russia seems to be doing that in a, in a great many Western countries. Yeah. And based upon, I mean, again, we're, we're kind of inferring motive, but based upon the target and the messaging collectively intelligence communities, both in the United States and in, in other Western democracies, the conclusion is that one of the goals seems to be to cause the public to, to question or to be skeptical or to doubt Many of our central institutions, our education systems, our political systems, our criminal justice systems, and, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think what would surprise me was, I, I, you know, of course, I'm following the story relating to the possible influence in the election of 2016. But in reading your paper, that's when I realized, oh, this is a much more comprehensive and uh, widespread um, phenomenon than than simply the the election. So yeah, so that that's that's interesting to see. So um, and and uh, so this particular paper that we're discussing today, you um, you you actually looked at the English language media emerging from the Russian Federation, right? So I think that's a really important point. Is 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 you were studying media that were really written for outside of Russia, you know? Correct. Correct. Yeah. These are uh, messages and, and media content designed for an English language audience. Mm-hmm. Which is us, you know, exactly. as well as, as well as potentially other uh, uh, bilingual people in other countries, but yeah. Yeah. And, and of course the United Kingdom. So um, yeah. And, and, and w- one thing I, I thought um, it was important to say is that, you know, people in, come by anti-GMO or, you know, a skeptical position towards GMOs. Honestly, I, I do want to acknowledge that I, I do outreach on genetic engineering um, and uh, get a chance to interact with very diverse audiences. Uh, the recent talk I gave was to master gardeners, and I also, you know, give workshops to university professors and everything, you know, across the spectrum. Anybody asks me to, <laughs> to talk about this topic, I'll be there. Um, but uh, and without all without any conflicts of interest either, I have no conflicts of interest on this topic. Um, but uh, you know, but but people come by it, you know, with honest concerns. So the question, really, I guess, that the paper brings up is, what is the role of Russian state news in possibly, uh, you know, facilitating anti-GMO attitudes or anti-GMO sentiment? Um, uh, but but recognizing, of course, that people, you know, way, however they got there, they have legitimate concerns and questions. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, um, certainly in, 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 my, in my own research on, on GMO attitudes and kind of that larger kind of network of attitudes and beliefs and values that get related to these, you know, kind of where a person's particular position and beliefs about genetic modification, genetic engineering, where they land. Do they land in, as part of their religious worldview? Uh, do they land in their kind of their economic and kind of their capitalist or anti-capitalist worldview? Does it land right. in kind of a natural or ecological worldview? Where these get placed really helps us to understand how kind of durable these are, how movable they are, and, and what their meaning is to individual people. Because GMOs have a little bit different meaning to different different groups of people. That's a very good point, yeah. Can you give us like a sort of a brief uh, synopsis of the methods that you used for the paper? Yeah. So for this one, um, again, we, we weren't initially looking, we weren't interested in <laughs> Russia. We weren't interested yeah. in across national or comparative. We were interested in testing some methods. Um, and yeah. so we were doing a, a lot of exploratory work. We were looking at, at YouTube and YouTube comments and we're looking at some online media and looking at user comments and, uh-huh. um, trying to get an understanding essentially of what's being portrayed and how is the public responding to it. Comment sections is a nice one to see that. And, mm-hmm. and along the way, we were also kind of looking at, can we, are we getting some sense that all of these comments are real or some of this kind of bot driven automated um, algorithms 
to look like human interactions? Is there kind of consistent messaging? So we were kind of looking at this. And at that time, that's when all this news coverage about Russia was going on and potential influence campaigns. So we decided to look at at RT, uh, uh, which is short for Russia Today, mm-hmm. and did some preliminary analysis and said, wow, there, there's actually a lot of articles about GMOs coming out of RT and and started reading some of those. And wow, these are really one-sided, which was different than other news we were looking at, that it was strongly negative and, and anti, we would say anti-GMO or softly would say very skeptical GMOs, mm-hmm. um, seemed to be a pattern. So our method was we then set up a kind of a, Again, we were on a seed grant. This wasn't a multi-million dollar budget we have, but we set up with our seed grant, we set up a small kind of a comparative study and we grabbed uh, two two prominent Russian state news uh, media organizations, RT, which Russia Today, and Sputnik. And then we wanted to contrast those with U.S. news. So we we tried to select, you know, with this, a small number, but uh, across the broad spectrum of kind of political ideology in the u.s so we have cnn which is generally considered kind of mainstream mm-hmm. uh, we have fox news which is a right-leaning news and we had msnbc which is a left-leaning and then we added huff post and uh, breitbart news a, a left and a right-leaning digital um, web-based news media yeah. and, and let me just interrupt and saying i was think it was very impressive how you diversified the sources you used from the united states and then really to your credit i think you've chosen a good range of media so yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. So, and that was, you know, to give us some, just to maximize in a kind of a quick look here, maximize our contrast to see if we could find anything unique and anything different going on. So we got those websites and a lot of the news coverage was that 26 was kind of an important year and it gave us a nice focusing on the year 2016 gave us a nice way to bound our study. I mean, with a, a larger budget, we'd have looked at more years and, and hope to do that in the future. But mm-hmm. uh, for this, we just looked at the one year, 2016, and we, we did a, a keyword search. Every every article that referenced uh, GMOs, genetic modification, um, genetic engineering, we grabbed all of those articles for each news website for that year. And then we did um, uh, quantitative and qualitative analysis. The baseline we do what we call word scoring, and that's just counting how many articles are coming out of each agency uh, and a media source, and we can contrast those. And then, and then we do the content analysis and try and get some sense of what are they talking about and what are the sentiments, the emotions that are kind of embedded in those discussions. What would a reader think or feel based upon their exposure to that article? And then we kind of aggregate those up so we get some scores for each of the news media. Uh, and what we found uh, is that Russia talks more about GMOs than U.S. news, uh, US news agencies. Across the board. They just Across talk more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they're just, it's a more salient topic coming out of Russian state news than it is out of U.S. news. And then our second finding is, is when they're talking about GMOs, is by, by, by they, when uh, Russian state agencies are talking about GMOs, it's far more negative than what we saw in the U.S. In the, in the U.S. media, we saw a range of, you know, you'd have an article that would be positive, an article that would be uh, kind of bring up this, the skeptical and the, the oppositional views. And then uh, quite a few would kind of try and give you the, the pros and the cons. Here's what people are for think and here's what people are against think and a more balanced a more balanced view. Not that the issue itself has to be balanced, but the news agencies trying to make sure the, the readers and viewers are getting the full spectrum of, of views on it. And we just, we just didn't see that with the Russian, the Russian news. It was just, there was no attempt to show any positives of GMOs, any possible benefits of the technology 
Um, yeah, so it was really quite distinctive. It was really surprising to us. Mm-hmm. So the, the Russian media, the, see the RT or Russia Today and Sputnik that that you studied, these are these are the predominant English language uh, media sources emerging from Russia. Is that I mean, is that right? Correct. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. And so, uh, and are they? Affi- I think this is implied in, in your comments, but I, I just want to verify: are they affiliated in some way with with the government, the Russian government? Yeah, these are um, these are state funded, um, and and in fact, I, we mentioned this in the paper, but um, RT was just recently required to register with uh, with the U.S. government as a foreign agent, and and that's kind of a we just consider that a higher level of, of acknowledgement of its integration with state agency. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like, for example, there's this controversy right now with ZTE, a big Chinese telecom. That uh, wants to sell phones and technologies in the U.S. and, and U.S. intelligence is concerned about that because the, the ZTE is really close with the Chinese government, and mm-hmm. so those when those linkages with a private entity and, and a government are close, um, we get a little suspect and you know, a little skeptical, and have some mechanisms yeah. in place, and that's what's going on with RT as well. Yeah, yeah, and and of course for the four sources that you you know you focused on from the United States, CNN, Fox News, Breitbart, and Huffington, um, they all are independent of of government. So that's that's a significant distinction. Yeah. So let's take a short break. We're talking to Sean Dorius, a uh, an assistant professor of sociology from. Iowa State University. And when we come back, we'll continue to discuss uh, the findings of this paper and what it means. And we're talking about um, the Russian state news, uh, English news uh, sources, and anti-GMO sentiment. So thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Hi, Talking Biotechers. Episode 140 is important in that it emphasizes the importance of critically analyzing something very important our own opinions. We form opinions and thoughts from the evidence we deem credible. Sadly, that tends to be the evidence that's already accepted from people we relate to, the folks in our trusted communities. You sometimes hear social scientists think of them as tribes. But in episode 140, I talked to Mark Linus about his new book, Seeds of Science. Now, Mark was not certain about technology to the point where he participated in actively stopping it. To his credit, he stepped back, looked at the data, and changed his mind. The good news is is that he sees technology with great nuance. He's no fan of companies and not even the rabid tech supporters, but he's a fan of technology that can help people or a planet. And this is the challenge to you. Listen to the podcast and challenge what you believe. Ask yourself honestly, what would it take to change my mind? And if confronted with that evidence, would I have the courage to change it? We live in strange times. I mean, the good news is that the way forward is easy. It's the truth. We need to test ourselves, challenge others, share beautiful stories, read seeds of science, critically evaluate Linus's claims, and share your thoughts on his thinking. The bottom line is, is that we have to constantly test ourselves for self-delusion and ensure that we are objectively thinking about data. Don't be anti-GMO, pro-GMO, be pro-science. Get excited about rigorous tests of claims and share that information. And read Mark's book, and and for what it's worth, I bought mine online and I'm not being paid off by (laughs) Big Linus. I just thought that I appreciated his sophisticated discussion of a topic that is immediately polarizing and polluted by mistrust. 
we can talk to each other and, well, talk to ourselves about challenging our beliefs, maybe that's the best way to have a productive discussion and get this technology out to those who can benefit from it. And we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast with Dr. Sean Dorius from Iowa State University. Uh, and uh, Sean, once again, uh, most interesting research. So, and we're thrilled that you could uh, share it with uh, with us at the Talking Biotech podcast. So, um, what I wanted to come back with uh, after the break was um, the 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 issue of why this might matter to to Russia, the an anti-GMO uh, perspective, because. Um, well, let me let me contrast this with with several other countries. So, I, I study what goes on in China with respect to genetic engineering. I've been to China. Um, there, people are afraid of genetic engineering, but their government and their government's not forcing it on them through their food. But their government is also very interested in this technology and really funding a lot of really good work in genetic engineering and related sciences. The European Union, it's the same way. The publics of the uh, European Union are by and large uh, concerned about genetic engineering, but their scientists are very interested in the topic, are very supportive of, of the wise use of these technologies by and large, and and um, are doing publishing really good work, uh, just like China in this area. Uh, but Russia, the Russian Federation, I would have to say is, from my perspective as a scientist who reads the peer-reviewed literature, they are behind the curve. I, I can't recall seeing, in a, seeing a single paper with a Russian scientist on genetic engineering or related sciences since I've been looking closely at the literature, which has been, you know, it's been four and a half years. Uh, and, and you see this all the time with Chinese and European scientists as well as American scientists. We're, we're really dominant in this area. And so, you know, to, to, to cynically, I might say, well, maybe uh, Russia is, um, you know, is, is trying to affect the market for these crops instead of trying to dominate through good science. What do you, yeah. what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Um, when we when we first kind of did this analysis that we talked about and discovered this really distinctive signal, we quickly began to kind of develop some hypotheses like, well, what explains this? Why would Russia be doing this? Is this a false positive? Is this a real signal? So we kind of threw a bunch of uh, lines out to investigate some explanatory models, what, what, again, what would count for this? And one of them that we looked at was um, Russia's scientific background in biotech relative to the U.S. and, and relative to other um, uh, Western countries, in, primarily in Europe. And and to your point, uh, it's not that Russia doesn't have any presence in biotechnology, but at least in the scientific literature, it just is orders of magnitude less significant mm-hmm. than the U.S. This is an area where the U.S. is really, really strong. I mean, to your, to your to your word dominance, it's just market dominance. Yeah. Um, and, and at, at the at the corporate level, but also at the scientific level, that these are two separate fields, overlapping fields, and the U.S. has a, just extreme dominance. And yeah. certainly, that seems to be making Russia a little itchy. Yeah. 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 It, yeah, it's it's it, it was you know I actually kind of well, when I saw your paper and started to read it I actually slapped my forehead figuratively I was like of course you know this makes sense uh, given the 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 re, the near absence as far as I you know I've seen the absence in the papers I've looked at which is which is of course many are, are you going to publish that work on uh, you know the, the citations for a second um, part of a future paper. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. At the, no plans at, at present. It was just yeah. kind of one of these things we looked at and as an interesting finding, but hadn't found a way to, mm. to we can find a way to add it to some of the other work sure. we're doing. Yeah, I hope you do. So you, in the, in the break, we, we chatted and, and, you know, there was some uh, additional content and further research you guys have, have um, done since the paper has been reported so I'm, uh, or published. So certainly our listeners will be interested in, in additional findings that you can share. Yeah, yeah. So we 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 did we have done since since then some additional um, and additional analysis and and part of some of the responses to when we first drafted the paper and can send it out for for review and for feedback. One of the dominant questions: Well, this is all interesting, but what's the effect? Has it has it had an effect? Is has this influenced campaign? Has it actually influenced the public? Has it changed public opinion? And in the paper that we've been discussing, we didn't take that question on. We didn't look at the effects. We just looked at the causal mechanism, which is this exposure to messaging. So we have done a little work to look beyond that, to look at, uh, to try and get some evidence of whether there's an in, this influence campaigns having an effect. And along the way, we analyzed um, a number of YouTube channels, RT's YouTube channel. We contrasted that with Al Jazeera's YouTube channel. That's a state, uh, state-run media agency out of the Middle East uh, news agency, and we contrasted those two against the CNN. Um, in the same in the same manner, we we looked at all the all the YouTube channels that have or YouTube videos that have any GMO content. We analyzed those both qualitatively, watched all those videos, and then we used machine learning and some automation to to analyze the the text content of all those videos as well. And we got the the same finding. What we saw on on digital media is the same as on their on their video channels, and that's RT is strongly negative. Uh, uh, on their portrayal of GMOs, but even more more distinctive on YouTube than on their print media or their digital media was this a very strong anti Monsanto. Wow. In fact, we we looked at for that study, we just looked at the top fifty most viewed videos on each channel that were about GMOs, and of the top fifty most viewed on RT, every one of them referenced Monsanto in a negative way. I see, and in a negative way, yeah. So yeah. Monsanto be, certainly. Certainly, for the, the propaganda side of, of Russia's uh, messaging machine on GMOs, I mean Monsanto is definitely the tip of the spear. Uh, they have decided that that's an effective weapon, and they are they are using it extensively. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I and I, and I think it's we can I can safely say, representing both of us, that we're not here, you know, to, having this conversation to defend Monsanto your and your paper certainly isn't any in any way about that either but uh, but Monsanto is has certainly been the dominant company in the use of genetic engineering for crop improvement and um, and so uh, if you want to go after uh, this technology that would that would be the car the company you would target so um, one of the ways that we look at um, we look at is is we'd like to know well if people are exposed to this messaging say they're on YouTube and they see a video an RT video about GMOs or they happen to get you know on their Twitter feed a, a, an article comes across one of these that we've talked about and analyzed does that influence people one of the ways we suspect that we could pick up a signal there is is if people read something and they learn something new like one of the common tropes in, in the Russia's portrayal of GMOs is this, is this idea that the introduction of GMOs in India led to this explosion in suicides yeah. among Indian farmers. Yeah. And that, that trope comes up regularly in Russian portrayal of GMOs. That's a story that gets told more than once. Oh, yeah. It's told. 
So if someone never heard that story, they read a news article, we suspect that they would go to the internet and do some internet searching to learn more. Is this true or what are the facts and when did this start and what's happening? So we've, we've done some computational work to look at, to analyze um, internet searches about GMOs. So when people put in a search term, um, for example, one of them we looked at is, is when people do a search term, do GMOs cause or do GMOs, what are the next things that they search for? What are the questions they ask? Mm-hmm. And for example, with the, the most frequent searches about GMOs, do GMOs cause cancer? Do GMOs cause allergies? Do they cause autiz- autism? Do they kill bees? Do they affect heal, uh, health? Do they cause infertility, antibiotic resistance? Mm-hmm. These are all the top searches in the U.S. and throughout the world for GMOs. So when people are searching about GMOs, they're largely searching, searching about the negative portrayals of GMOs. I see. And when we look at the timing of those, those searches, we are seeing some patterning in the searches that the search traffic has really has seen a sharp uptick since about 2011. From 2011 to about 2013, a real strong uptick in searches about GMOs. So, so we are seeing some, some, some behavioral response from the public based upon the messaging that they're being exposed to. So do you, but, but can we relate that uptick um, to uh, the Russian news sources or is it, you know, could it be other, other influences? Yeah, it could be, it could be other. That's the, at the present, perhaps our most difficult is just to separate out a unique effect mm-hmm. of Russia's messaging versus all of the other messaging. Right. Versus- there's all those organizations that are skeptical or opposed to GMOs that have regular messaging. There's all the industry, for example, industry side uh, and associations that, that, are, that are supportive and have messaging and marketed campaigns. So the public is exposed to a myriad of messages and, ex- and separating out the unique effects of one or the other is really difficult. Yeah, well, I, that, that's not only easy to imagine why that would be so difficult. So you used a phrase to wedge issue uh, in your paper, and I uh, the GMOs are a wedge issue, and I thought that was important because we, you know, I, I, I've been most sort of noted, noted the potential economic effect, you know, of of, of this kind of. Uh, effort by the Russian Federation. But uh, in addition, it, there, there's the, there's some degree of social impact uh, because, you know, there, yeah, GMOs are, you know, are becoming like climate change almost. It's in the sense of, you know, what you believe depends on what your team thinks, you know, the social uh, group that you identify with. And, and, and the same is true both in, you know, well, it's certainly true in the U.S., but also it's the GMOs can be a wedge issue or perceived as a wedge issue between the U.S. and its European Union allies. So, uh, so uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that certainly the way that Russia portrays GMOs, it's, it's clear that there is an interest um, to, to further separate the U.S. from its European allies. Mm. Um, I mean, overwhelm, overwhelmingly, the portrayal of GMOs by Russian state news in their, in their, in their digital news, um, overwhelmingly it's framed, it was in 2016 framed around the... TTIP, the Trans uh, Transatlantic Trade Partnership, and that was a, a, a big uh, trade deal and being negotiated with the between the Obama administration and the EU that was going to bring those two markets very close to an open free trade market, mm-hmm. and and that that messaging. I mean, one of the, the things around that was it was GMOs were brought to light 
as a as an intent to to turn the public against that that trade deal. Wow. And and the argument was one of the, the central arguments in, in the messaging was if this deal is signed, then then the monopolistic uh, kind of corporate agriculture in the U.S. is going to be forced on Europe on European markets, and it's going to destroy all of these premium local European brands. Wow. So so it was framed as this large kind of monopolistic corporate endeavor yeah. in the U.S. was gonna was going to destroy local indigenous, like I say, particularly these premium food brands that yeah. that have been around for for decades and even hundreds of years throughout Europe. And so that was a really, I think a really effective uh, wedge issue. Uh, uh-huh. And that's yeah. that, that deal is, is dead in the water. So it was perceived as a threat to the, the food culture of, you know, countries with a long history of, you know, f- proud food culture. So exactly, exactly. Uh, interesting, man, that's, that's something seems to have been effective. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, when I, when I saw this, uh, paper again i i i I figuratively slapped my forehead and 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 in a way it was it was a relief because uh you know i I don't like to think of myself as a conspiracy theorist (laughs) but uh and i don't think we are i think uh paper is what it is it just stands on its own and you know speaks for itself well i i think it's really interesting i I let me give you one more listeners one more quote to and solicit your comment um the threat of Russia's disinformation campaign is not limited to sowing seeds of division in the U.S. and bolstering Russian economic power. There is also the potential to erode public trust in science. Boy, that hurts. And it, and it's and that's my comment, folks. A parenthetic comment. But there is also the potential to erode public trust in science, an institutionalized pillar of Western intellectual tradition. And I think we I think we see that happening i'm talking from personal experience yeah yeah that was um one of as i got into this project one of my interests um prior to this project and ongoing is is this the public's perception of scientific enterprise scientists and scientific research and evidence-based policy kind of that broad kind of package of of, of ideas and, and institutions around science and and as I got into this a little farther, um, and we mentioned one of these things in the just briefly in the paper, is, is there are a bunch of areas where the, many, let me say, many areas the, the public is very, very trusting of science. Among all of the major industries and institutions, public institutions, our executive branch, our legislative branch, um, religion, education, finance, these big institutions, among all of those, science is still today one of the most trusted institutions among the American public. Wow. And by that, we mean the public has more confidence in science than than any institution with the exception of the military. Mm-hmm. So it's a very respected institution. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's been fairly stable since we've been tracking it back into the 70s, a slight decline. But there are some kind of, you'd say, some chinks in the armor. There are some weak points. And those, some of those are well known, that there is a small group of people in the U.S. that are very skeptical of vaccines, for example. That's a, that's a technology, we broadly say, coming out of science and medicine that has clear public benefits. But there's a real skepticism among a small group of people about vaccines. They've been labeled anti-vaxxers. Yes. There's this growing group of of, of the pub, a segment of the public that's very skeptical of the research on climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been, is that growing? Did you say? 
Yeah, that's a growing uh, that's a growing one. That's that's moved as that as that issue has become kind of folded in or co-opted in as a political issue that one party is on one side of the issue and the other on yeah. another. Then you yeah. get you get kind of we call it tribal politics helps to move public opinion. So yeah. that's a, a unique element on climate change that's not present on vaccines. Um, mm. Nuclear power is another one that there's been some um, you know, some, some durable resistance. But among these areas where where the public has just had um, an unusually high level of skepticism of what science is telling the public. The one, the most extreme outlier, the place where the public is the most skeptical, and by that we mean the least trusting of science, is around GMOs. Mm. This is the weakest area, or the yeah. this is the area where the entire scientific enterprise, I would say, is most at threat. And the reason is, is, is once we come to doubt an institution on one issue, once that first kind of mm. seed of doubt is planted, yeah. then it becomes much easier to germinate and to spread to other areas because that's kind of the big step. Is is do you just wholly trust or do you kind of selectively trust? And yeah. Once yeah. You're selectively trusting again, then it's, there's, there's no clear line where you stop. Yeah. And so, so this is a kind of a serious issue and it is a really significant one for the scientific enterprise. Yeah. So the, the simple heuristic as if, if science, uh, public trust in science is eroded beginning with a wedge issues such as GMOs, a simple heuristic for busy people is, Oh, you can't trust scientists, you know, because who's, you know, if they have time to investigate things, that's great, but you know, everybody's busy. We're busy. You and I are busy. So it, yeah, I can see where you would, we could end up with, a uh, substantial fragment, a fraction of our population that just, you know, chooses to, to you know, not believe uh, or that there's value in, in the scientific community. So, so as a sort of a concluding um, question, do you, do you think based on what you've seen that, the, that the, this anti-GMO um, efforts through the Russian media is does it does it fit with the Russian information warfare strategy that that has been described or or is it an outlier uh, I, I, I want to say uh, take the middle there and say yes and no in one sense it absolutely fits fits the bill it, it looks just like what we're seeing in other areas other researchers that have taken on some of these specific topics and more broadly looking at the, like the, the totality of the information campaign this looks like it it's uh, the messaging is is purposeful. It's broad based. It's like classic propaganda. It's highly emotional. It evokes fear. It reaches to kind of our most baseline and elemental emotions and and, and human drives. I mean, it's got all of these classic elements of, of a real propaganda, you know, information campaign. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 it mixes a little fact in with a lot of fiction. And again, these are classic elements as well. There's enough truth in there to get people that are on the fence to believe, but then there's a whole bunch of fiction as well to, to really get people afraid and, and, and feeling irrational rather than thinking rationally. Mm. So in that sense it is, but the one distinctive is, is what we've seen, at least the research coming out on some of these other issues like um, fracking, for example, um, some of the other divisive issues in the U S gun control, the black lives matter movement, some of these issues in that are in the U S that are just divisive issues. that are really kind of political and socially divisive issues. We've seen in the Russia campaign, information campaign, that they send pro-messages to some groups and anti-messages to others, meaning they don't seem to be taking sides with, with these issues. They, they take both sides, and they try and enliven and amplify the most heated rhetoric and arguments mm. of both sides. Yeah. And with GMOs, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing a two-sided or a bimodal 
attack. We're seeing it's a very one-sided attack, and it's mm. and by that I mean it's it's all anti. So in that sense, it's different. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So I, I get that. So you, you you can have one one way to create sort of that social disruption. Uh, I don't know if that's the best phrase, but you might have a better one. But um, is to just amplify the 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 polar the polar arguments. And but in this case, it's all one sided. The, the amplifying the anti-GMO side. And and again, I think that's that hit slapping moment because because they're they're just clearly uh, far from dominant, in fact quite the opposite in with respect to genetic engineering. Yeah. Once again, even you know, China and, and Europe, the European Union where the population is largely anti-GMO, the scientific communities themselves most uh, experts in the area are are actually favorable to the technology used wisely. Um, and so, yeah, so uh, that, it's not like they know anything different and better, better information than we have. We have the access to the best science worldwide, and we, they know nothing that we don't know. Yeah. Well, that's, I think, one of the areas where they, uh, the Russian efforts have really, they've been quite successful and strategic is, yeah. is, you know, because this is such a scientific practice here in the U.S., science in the U.S. is highly specialized. We're trained to be specialists and we think of it in these very specialized ways. So if this very detailed, I mean, literally the genomics uh, angle is just the most specialized, the most micro level we can get. Um, and sometimes that gets us forgetting that, that our, the science that we practice and things like genetic um, engineering, that those, all, those practices operate within a larger social and economic and political sure. context. Yeah. And to the extent that those touch on socially divisive topics or economic insecurities or inequalities, um, then that can that can cause people to be skeptical or outright opposed to these very specific scientific technologies. Not because of the science itself, but because of how it plays out in these larger contexts. And like I say, Russia's Russia's portrayal of GMOs just absolutely plays that to perfection. They really exploit those larger connections. Is once once this genetic technology has escaped the labs and get out into the real world of politics and society and economy, um, Russia's portrayal really exploits the, the mischief that those are perceived to cause and sometimes actually cause. So I'll make a plug. This is all wonderful uh, commentary. I'll make a plug for social scientists as a natural scientist. Um, my, my wife is a, uh, a licensed clinical social worker and, and brilliant sociologist. And, um, and she and other, you know, sources have been very helpful in, in, in allowing me to create public outreach programming that is faithful to the science risks and benefits. Um, but, uh, but is, is, is perceived as heard by the public. It's not about convincing them to think like I do, but to make sure the public has been exposed to the, the, the fundamentals of the pros and cons, risks and benefits. And boy, listeners, if you're a natural scientist and you haven't interfaced with social science literature or social science experts or communicators, um, it's, it's, huge how much of a difference that can make and so you can contact me for a fact sheet i put together on the topic uh, short fact sheet but yeah work with social scientists really is important so <laughs> so i just i really believe that so i wanted to make sure we added that to the podcast. well thanks for the plug for the social scientists i have to agree is there anything uh sean is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about the topic um, um, no, I mean, I think in conclusion, I would just you know, encourage people that are interested in the topic to, 
I would say to be very selective in your information sources, that there's a lot of information out there. We've never been exposed to more information as, as people, as a species than we are at present, just massive exposure. And a lot of it's uh, skeptic, uh, kind of, we should be skeptical. A lot of it's questionable and dubious. And I think there's just a time for people really vigilant about their new sources is to, to source these a little bit and to take a little time to make sure that you're, you're getting kind of reliable information from trusted sources. Wonderful. Well, that's a good way to, to close. And so, Sean, uh, thank you once again for sharing your insights and your research uh, here on the Talking Biotech podcast. Thanks for having me. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Talking Biotech. Write a review on iTunes and tell a friend to listen as your support allows us to deliver more about exciting science to more people. I'm Paul Pincelli, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech. Sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app. C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.